This morning we're going to uh, keep going in our in our series, uh, the In Church. Um, uh, I, I wonder if that's your idea of the In Church. Uh, last week we saw um, what looked to be very contemporary worship in a very contemporary setting. Uh, lots of people, lots of power and energy there. Uh, if you're talking about contemporary, I don't know if I could find uh, a different... Uh, I don't know if that's contemporary or not. Maybe that's more of an abstract, but... Um, we're going to look at what it is to be the in church um, as we continue in our study through the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're going to be reading today uh, all of Ephesians 2. Um, while, while each of these uh, chapters, 1 and 2, have... Uh, so much theology loaded into them. There are also big movements of thought in these, and that's what I'm trying to capture right now are these big movements of thought so that we can uh, grasp for sure the the essential things that are being talked about. Um, and, and maybe at some point we'll come back and we'll revisit uh, Ephesians specifically and dig deeply into the doctrine there because it is... It is what uh, underpins uh, all of what's being taught. So today we're going to read uh, Ephesians chapter 2. And starting at verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. 
For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. May God give us wisdom this morning as we, as we look at um, this passage here. And um, uh, last week we were in, but this is before we were in. That's where Paul starts off. If you remember, I kept telling you at times, remember what, how, how Ephesians 2 is going to start. And you, after, after this wonderful uh, a picture of where we are in Christ and everything that we have in Him and how it should just overwhelm us to understand our place in Christ, this week we're going to look at where you were before you were in Him. And it's a stark contrast. I want you to imagine for a moment, though, that you grew up, uh, and maybe, maybe this isn't a huge stretch for us here in Western culture. Imagine you grew up in an extremely wealthy family. How excited would you be for a brand new bicycle at the age of 30? Yeah, right. 30 years old in a very wealthy family, what do I need a bicycle for? Give me the Lamborghini. Uh, I've got my sights set a whole lot higher than, than just a bike. Now imagine, though, you grew up in a third world country, uh, scrounging day by day for just your daily existence, and you're 10 years old. Uh, your parents are often not home because they've got to do everything they can just to try to provide for the family. And now imagine that at 10 years old, somebody says they have a brand new bicycle for you. Well, that would be exciting to think of having uh, such great uh, uh, wealth to have your own bike when everybody else is uh, walking from place to place or maybe they've got the old rickety thing that came from 20 years before and you get a brand new bicycle. Imagine how that would feel for you in that situation. The bike is the same. But but when you consider where you are and what's being given to you, that will make all the difference. That's, that's this place that we're looking this morning at where last week we saw what it meant to be in Christ. To have, to have that be as our position in this world. We are in Christ Jesus we have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have richness and fullness in Him. And then Paul says, but I want to show you where you started so you don't forget how important that is. He says, because you were dead. You were stuck in your sin. That's a sobering contrast from what was being said in chapter 1. 
But Paul wants us to be absolutely certain of how being in him all came about. You were dead. Uh, what we were before, of, before being in him was nothing short of hopeless. I don't, I don't know that we grow up thinking that. I don't know if we were raised in the faith to think that uh, before life in Christ we were dead and hopeless. I don't know that I grew up that way. Uh, I, can, I can point you to people's lives where before they were in Christ, that's what seemed to be their testimony. I was dead and hopeless. Until Christ came. And that's the, that's the difference, that's the contrast that Paul wants to show us here today. We were dead and hopeless. We were the walking dead covered in our filthy sins. There was nothing about us that had any eternal value inherent in our natural being. Imagine if... if, if people could see you and I uh, at our absolute worst. See, in our absolute worst, at my absolute worst, you could look at me and you would think everything was okay. See, I could, I could wear these clothes or I could put on a good face. I, I, could, I could answer your how are you doing with all the right answers. And you wouldn't know that I was falling apart on the inside, just about ready to self-destruct and destroy everything else around me. You wouldn't know that, but what if, what if people could see on the outside your sin? What if, what if people looked at you and said, wow, uh, that's an awful person. I've seen some bad people, but I don't know if you've seen him before. You should see the sins that he has. We have a way of, of usually covering those up and, and not letting people see. But they're there. That's, that's who we are before we are in Christ. And we, we just tend to hide it. We, we don't let people see us that way. We were spiritually dead in, before Christ. Every one of us, uh, weighted down by these filthy, ugly clothes called sin and all the baggage that came with it. We were getting sucked into the ways of the world. Uh, Paul paints this picture much like Jesus did as well. This, this world that we live in, the, the system of the world, the mindset of the world is, is all about self. It's about uh, consuming. It's about... Uh, our own pleasure. It's, it's about our own ideas. Uh, it, it is a me, me, me kind of society. And people will step on other people to get to a better place. This, this world system uh, is all around us as we grow up and it has this tendency to, to pull us in. That's what Paul's talking about. He's He's, he's painting this picture of, of what people are like. 
as they grow up in this natural world, following the, the course of this world, looking out for number one, uh, trying to please myself, following my own passions, my own desires, my own way. I'll set my own course. I am the master of my destiny. It's amazing how many times people use that and think that's a, a positive thing. Far from it. Uh, to be the master of your own destiny, I can tell you with, a, with great certainty where you will end up as the master of your own destiny. Uh, we, we are born into a world that is filled with corruption. Every kind of evil around us. Uh, this, this evil that exists in, in the spiritual realm is always against us. Um, this this uh, way of thinking, Jesus, Jesus would describe this evil generation. He said that a few times as he was uh, walking among his disciples and those that were around him. He would speak of this evil generation. This, uh, the, the collective of our society is so broken. Uh, Moses would speak of this evil generation too. And you know who he spoke of? First generation out of Egypt. This evil generation. Those whose hearts had turned away from God. Jesus talks about that in the New Testament as, as those that have not come uh, to want to encounter Christ. Moses used it as those people who had left their faith and hope in the living God. This evil generation as he talks about here. The world system is an enemy against us. And following the one uh, who will always lead us astray, the prince of the power of the air, the, the devil's realm is, is uh, still under God's control, but he's, he's not here among us in that sense. Uh, neither does he have a rightful place in heaven. He's in this place where he's, he's kind of uh, hovering over everything. He always wants to lead you astray. He is never for us, for us. Never. And we, before we are in Christ, we tend to follow Him. We were all living like this, like the rest of mankind, Paul says. Not only dead, he says, but but separated from Christ. Separated in, in at least a few different ways. Excluded. He's, he's talking to a, a Gentile people here. Those that did not grow up with the same uh, advantages of the Israelite people. Excluded from citizenship. Just by birth, they were not Israelites. They were not citizens of God's people. These were, these were the other people. Uh, in, in God's economy, there are uh, those that are with Him and those that are not. 
the Gentiles were always the ones that were not with God. The people of Israel were with God. It didn't mean that they had an absolute uh, unrevocable ticket into what they hoped to be everlasting life. It just means they came into this life with great advantages. And the Gentiles came into this world with a disadvantage, but with the same opportunities to receive and to be in Christ. They were strangers to the promises. God had promised His people all throughout their, their growing up as, uh, as His children. Um, God had made all kinds of promises of what would be theirs uh, originating back with Abraham. And, and through Abraham, uh, all of the peoples on the earth would be blessed. This is, this is where Paul wants to take us that, that there were advantages to being the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the, but the invitation continues to go out from there. It was, it was God's chosen people, the Israelites, that He would work through to bring that invitation to the rest of the world. Strangers is what they were to what God had promised. Paul talks about it in Romans uh, 9 this way, um, about the... What it means to be an Israelite. What advantage that was. They are Israelites, he says, and and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to flesh, is the Christ who is God over all. Blessed forever. Amen. Uh, All of those advantages the Israelites had. They, They got to witness God's Power bringing them out of the land of Egypt. Promising them, uh, bringing them into the land of Canaan. Moving things for them to do that. Providing for them along the way. Making wonderful promises. uh, Giving them a law that would hedge them in and protect them. They had such great advantage because God chose them to be the people that He would work through. We talked a little bit about being chosen last Sunday night as we met downstairs. What does it mean to be chosen? We think it's this place of privilege, but it's, it's a place of, of opportunity to be a vessel. The Gentiles didn't have that advantage. They were uh, without hope and without God. Now, It's not as if God didn't reveal Himself to them. He certainly did. Uh, But but Paul is describing here uh, people that started in two different places. Um, One is to be born in the circumstance of advantage. Go back back to that. um, uh, A couple different illustrations ready this morning. Go back to the the rich person. uh, The one that grew up in a wealthy home. It wasn't anything that the the child did to grow up in that home. It's just the circumstances he was raised in, he or, him or her. Uh, in the same way, um, the people that are born into a, a, an impoverished country didn't choose to be there. They just grew up in that circumstance. And for them, there are certain disadvantages. Paul's talking about when it comes to uh, the Israelites and the Gentiles Uh, What advantage they grew up in. Did you have the law, the promises, the hope, 
the covenants, uh, the, the one that would come through those people and be the Savior of the world, that came through the Israelites. And to be the Gentile, they didn't have that. They grew up without that advantage. When we, when we get to this place where we understand what Paul is describing here uh, for, the, for his Gentile listeners, um, it is, it is a, uh, a life without Christ and utterly hopeless. Uh, everything that he's talking about there in that, in that opening section lets us know that uh, those that didn't grow up in that advantage of the Israelites... It seemed as if they were absolutely hopeless. First uh, John five twelve says, "Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life." That's the that's the contrast of of being in. And what was the other choice last week? If you're not in, you're you're out. And to be out is to be, it seems, utterly hopeless. Last week we looked at that, that simple two-letter word, in, and how powerful that is. And what that word in means in God's gospel message. To be in Christ is a place of overwhelming blessing. It's not that you're just kind of going along with the flow. To be in Christ, to be truly in Christ, is to be in this place of of wonderful security. Through through every trial in life and then also for your eternal destiny. We're going to focus here as we finish on on another small word. Not two letters, but three. It's one of the most powerful things when you, when you consider your own life, when you consider the world in which we live, and you put things in perspective, you may look at who you are without Christ. But, we have to notice what it is that changes our disadvantage into hope. But, We read that this morning in our morning devotions as we listen to a psalmist talk about um, his own life and his own existence, his own surroundings and how how it seemed as if he was just being crushed by everything around him. And he said, but... And he began to remind himself of where he was in God. And that changed his entire perspective. And even when he kind of slipped back into that way of thinking about his own miserable existence and the things of this earth, and, and everything about that, just the ugliness, he once again went back to this idea of but. But God has a different reality for you and I. God can change your reality. But, it says, you were dead in the trespasses and your sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the air, the spirit of, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, Nothing good here so far. 
Last week I said, I have so much good news for you. And Paul says, I want to tell you though where you started. Among whom all these uh, sons of disobedience following the course of this world, the power of the prince of the air, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Can you guess what the next word is? But. But God. See, people all around us may think that they are also in this hopeless, helpless, dead situation. It exists everywhere around us. But God, being rich in mercy, you may think that you have nothing, that you have no hope. You are forgotten. And there's nothing and no one that could change your circumstance. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He has loved us, even when... I don't know if Paul is being uh, necessarily sarcastic here because he's already said we are dead, but especially maybe what he's saying, especially since we're dead in our sins, has made us alive in Christ. It is by grace. We have such a, a, a powerful conversion story. Every one of us does. You, you may not think it, but maybe it's because it's the way you and I have uh, calculated our upbringing that we don't see how great our conversion is. What about those that are still out, though? What about, what about them? Look at, again, verses 13 through 18. But now, but. Uh, in in this, at verse 11, he starts, Remember that, that you, you were once out, you Gentiles. You were out. You weren't a part of, uh, of that natural advantage that the Israelites had. You, you were once cut off. You were out. You were alienated. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. He has changed uh, their existence and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby ending the hostility And he came and preached peace to those that were near. See, the people of Israel needed to have a message of peace preached to them as well. 
He preached peace to those that were near and peace to those that were far off. The same, the same uh, way into Christ comes to both of them. You, you never grow up, you never come into this world in Christ. You may come into this world in advantage to the things of Christ. You are not born a Christian. To be a follower of Christ, to be a disciple of Christ, is to make that decision to the offer being presented, to experience life in Him, to take Him at His word, and to make the decision to follow. You didn't do that. You couldn't do that when you were born. You had to learn those things. So, so whether you had the advantage of, of growing up uh, in a home that was uh, in Christ, or, or whether you were one that grew up in a home that didn't preach Christ and didn't have that advantage. To be in Christ comes the same way. Preaching this gospel of peace to both sides, to either one. And so it brings us to this place where uh, as we look at our lives and the lives of those around us, it isn't us versus them. Not at all. Uh, we are them, or we were them. Don't correct my English now. I already screwed up on the calendar thing. But we were those people. We were exactly like those around us. Except maybe most of us had the advantage of hearing about the things of Christ. Where maybe they didn't. But before we accepted Christ and before we began to follow Him and acknowledge Him, we were dead like they were. There was no difference. There was, there was nothing about us that would say, well, don't worry, uh, because you grew up in that home, you're set for eternity. Because you came to this church all your life, you're set for eternity. It doesn't happen that way. You aren't in Christ because of your circumstances. You are in Christ because it is by grace you have been saved and that offer of grace came to you. It came to you. You examined it. You accepted it. And you began to follow Christ. That's what it is to be in Him. And we were like the rest of them. Except many of us had that advantage. But it doesn't mean that we already have eternal life because of the advantage. It wasn't true of the Israelites. That whole generation that came out of Egypt perished in the wilderness, cut off from God because they didn't exercise faith. And without faith it is impossible to please God. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And if you don't have faith, if you don't accept that grace from God, by His doing, you don't have life. People of Israel that didn't exercise their faith didn't have life, even though they had the advantage. It isn't us versus them. It's, that's the way I used to be. 
Paul would say that in, in another one of his letters. And that's what some of you were. You used to be like that. But now, in Christ, you are totally different. That's, that's the life in Christ. Totally different. Because of that, because of the love with which he has given us, it makes all the difference to us. It's meant to. Remember the story um, in Luke where, where a Pharisee invites Jesus over to his house and he sits there at the table with, with, um, with the Pharisee and, and others around him and in walks uh, a woman of the city. Uh, said it very nicely. Uh, in walks the prostitute. And she begins to weep and cry over Jesus. She, she recognizes who, she, who he is. And she's weeping at his feet, drying up uh, the, the tears on his feet with her hair, pouring oil on him. And the Pharisee said, don't you realize who's here? Don't you recognize what kind of person is at your feet? Jesus said, let me... Let me tell you a story. A certain moneylender, this is from Luke 7, a certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. 200 or 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which one will love him more? That was the question Jesus posed. Simon, the Pharisee, answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. See, brothers and sisters, we need to remember that we were not just forgiven little. I, th I, think that's, I think that's the disadvantage that we have at times in growing up. We think that because we are in the advantage place of hearing about Christ, that we don't need much to be forgiven of. That somehow inherent in me now, because of my family upbringing, inherent in me is a level of goodness that, that Christ can deal with easily. Because after all, I'm not as bad as the other people. And yet, without Christ, without His grace, without accepting that gift from Him, without exercising faith, without receiving what He offers, I am dead in my sins. Just as much as anybody else. Think of the worst Sinner, you can. And before you were in Christ, you were no different.
when we recognize uh, and figure out that we were just like everyone else before we were in Christ, once we do that, it will change the very way we respond to God. Our, our response to God ought to be forever out of the deepest gratitude that we could always continually muster up in our, within ourselves. And it will also change the way we view those around us. It is not us versus them. He has made us both one. Making one new man out of the two. Not those that uh, have some special advantage and those that are disadvantaged, but those that recognize where they are without Him. I will make the two one. The same. The Gospel message comes to everybody the same. Until we realize that before we were in Christ, we are dead in our sins, and that God has changed everything and made us alive in Christ, we will not be motivated to go out and tell our testimony and seek those around us that are lost. If, if I don't realize how greatly God has changed my life, what message would I bring to somebody else? But for you and I, many of us here that grew up in this place of advantage, we're not Israelites. I don't believe there's a Jew among us. We don't have that natural lineage of Jewish heritage prominent in us. But we grew up in a different way. In a, in a covenant family of faith, many of us. I did. I grew up in a covenant family. I learned from an early age what it was to know the stories of the Bible. What that means for us. And I had great advantage in that. And you know what? I was still dead in my sins. Once you and I realize that's the way we come into the world and it's only the but God moment in our life that you realize and I realize that that's who I was and this is what Christ is offering and this is now the advantage that I have until we realize that we don't have much of a story to tell. But if you can identify with people around you And know that even with advantage, I was still dead. Even though I grew up in the place that I did, I still needed to make that choice to accept the gift that He gave to me by His grace. The one that was given because He drew me in. And I recognized my need. There's a world of needy people around us. We don't have much to offer if we can't recognize 
the need that we came out of. See, we have, we have a wonderful opportunity. The world is in such turmoil right now. Every natural disaster is an opportunity to talk about how God comes and visits us in this time of great turmoil. But especially when these people are at uh, the end of their lives, uh, not, not in age-wise, but they just don't feel any value in life anymore. And they, they recognize they are hopeless and without God. We have such a ripe field of opportunity to be able to say, I totally understand where you're at. Because without Christ, I don't have hope. I don't have any hope either. And brothers and sisters, as we as we wrestle with this thought of uh, where we were before we were in, uh, we need to recognize too that to be in is not. It's not the end destination. How many sitting here would consider themselves to be in Christ? You have only just begun. Life in Christ is the beginning of your journey. It isn't the destination you were shooting for. It's the beginning place of His work in us. He will take us from where He found us and will sanctify us. He will make us holy. Those those filthy clothing of sin that we wore and all the baggage that we took with us, He will take all of that away and will dress you and I in white. And then He will make you a vessel for Him to the world around you. To be in Christ, brothers and sisters, it is not the destination. It is just the beginning And that's where Paul's going to continue to take us from here. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. It is such a rich and powerful Word. It is not unclear. It is not a a river of muddy water. It is not shrouded. There is uh, not some secret mystery about how to unlock it. You plainly tell us in Your Word about the things of our world and what You really need us to know is where we are without You, without Your Son. And so we thank You for these words. Words of reminder. Remember, You said, Without your son, we're still dead. And so, Father, help us to recognize our place in Christ, uh, not as the place of resting, but the place of working and beginning an opportunity. And may we take that advantage of being in Christ now to those around us, preaching peace to those that are still far off. A message of reconciliation. Thank you, Jesus, for canceling my sin uh, by your death on the cross 
securing it with your powerful resurrection uh, and giving me that hope as you sit gloriously at your Father's side. So Holy Spirit, take these words. May they shape us, mold us, transform us so that you would use us for the good of the kingdom and the glory of the name of Jesus in which we pray. Amen.